episode episode, episode six, six right it is episode, episode six. six episode six all right welcome to episode six of the state of play i'm rejoined by matt santangelo of course after what i'm sure was uh, kind of a boring international break matt do you agree um, yes and no. I, I think there were some definitely some some talking points, some things to take away from it. Of course, I think be most you know at least on my end or people who who follow me know me well. Um, Italy Poland was a big one for the simple fact that again Poland then uh, two straight games of Billy being disappointing, didn't really play too well against Portugal. They lost that one, and then of course they lost to Italy one zero late by Cristiano Biraghi with a uh, goal at the back post, um, and there actually became the first team Poland uh, to be relegated from the UEFA Nations League. And whereas Milan, excuse me, not Milan, in Italy stay alive, and I think they have a pivotal game against Portugal um, about a month away at the San Siro, which will determine who finishes first in I think Group Three. So uh, for Italy and Mancini and, and the Azzurri supporters everywhere, it was definitely a big morale-boosting victory. Uh, but it's something that again I wrote an article on it where we really have to see you know how they kind of string together these performances if they're able to do uh one strong performance after the other and and, and do it against opponents like Portugal who are in my opinion are uh much stronger at the moment than Poland then I think you could start to get you could start to buy into uh Mancini Italy and the squad moving forward and really heading into that Euro qualification phase mm, yeah certainly lots to ponder uh, for, for someone who's of Polish and Italian descent that must have been uh, a tough game to watch <laughs> I mean, even 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 the U.S. men's national team had some hints of promising, you know, games. I mean, yeah, I know against Colombia they conceded, you know, defensively they weren't as sharp. But again, we got to see some of those younger players, uh, you know, feature, get all the minutes they need. And you know, at times the men's national team looked pretty sharp, pretty promising, and it really showed what they have coming through the pipeline in terms of talent. So again, I think really at this point. It's no, there's really no disputing that U.S. men's national team um, could have a bright future in terms of, uh, you know, their their senior team. But it really is kind of, kind of, really going to come down to who's their manager uh, moving forward. Because that's really hasn't been decided really since, um, you know, last what October when, um, you know, they they pretty much failed to qualify to for the World Cup. It's been a, pretty much a year since they've been, you know, searching for their manager, their long time, long term solution. So it's going to be interesting to monitor that. I've heard names. I've mean, some people have even said, well, would Mourinho coach the national team uh, if he was fired by Manchester United? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't see that happening. But in any case, it's going to be uh, David Moyes. I think we talked about that. I'm not maybe not last episode, mm-hmm. but with the one before. So it's uh, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, over the next month and a half, two months, um, where you know, again, there's uh, the men's national team hope to have that coach solidified and then he can really kind of start moving forward with the project. Yeah, some promising young players. We talked about Timothy Weyer a little bit, uh, Winston McKinney. Sergeant uh, McKinney, who actually scored, I think, a stoppage time winner for Schalke the last round of the Champions League. So we got those guys making a difference uh, in the Champions League as well and at a very young age. Yeah, well, over in England, um, we, we had some young players get called up. Mason, uh, Mason Mount, James Madison, uh, Jaden Sancho, who got some minutes, who's obviously like absolutely killing it in uh, Bundesliga. Uh, for Dortmund, who are who are absolutely flying at the moment, but um, it's interesting to see how most people thought the Nations League would be taken more seriously. I think coaches are using it as an opportunity and as a platform to give younger players more minutes. Do you think that diminishes its seriousness, if that makes sense, or do you think this is just a good? It's kind of a win-win for everyone. I think for me, the way I've observed the UEFA Nations League, and I observe the way managers and teams, you know, you know kind of go about calling up players is it's not as light lightly taken as a friendly 
but it's not as significant as like a Euro, a big Euro qualifier or a big World Cup qualifier in the sense that, you know, they're going to be calling up a competitive squad, a team that has its regulars. We saw with Italy, the lineups they fielded in the, uh, Mancini fielded in these two games against Portugal, um, excuse me, against Ukraine and Poland. They were pretty much more or less the starting lineup that you'd expect Italy to play in any significant match moving forward. Panucci, Chiellini, um, Verratti, Jorginho, Barella, and of course up front, Bernardeschi, uh, Insigne, and, and the like. So I think it's, again, but it's also an opportunity for them to get different guys that maybe those those players down the pecking order, I mean, I think most coaches by now, England, Italy, and some of these other uh, national teams have their, you know, they maybe their top 15 to 16 players kind of more or less have uh, in, in set in stone, but they use those last additional slots to, again, as you mentioned, give opportunity to players who maybe are ready Ready to make a larger impact for their senior team or national team. In this case, we saw that with Mason Mount, Jadon Sancho, they've been doing really well for their clubs, and now all of a sudden they're getting that opportunity that they so rightly, rightfully deserve for the national team. I think, again, that's something that I'm, I've been pleased to see with Italy is getting you know some of those younger players in there. Cutrone would have been one I would love to see, but he was injured and he was sent back to, uh, to camp, uh, training camp for Milan to be ready for this derby that's coming up today as we record. So, in, 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 you know, in, in short, to wrap up this, 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 uh, this story here, yes, I, I do think that there's also the way t- we, nations are approaching the UEFA Nations League um, is a little bit of an in-between in the sense that they, again, they, they really, it's, it's still a competition, it's still a competitive competition. And really all the teams that I've seen have been fielding pretty strong squats, Spain, Germany, you know, Italy, like England, you know, they, we've seen some good you know, uh, uh, competition, but I think it's also an opportunity to uh, kind of you know transition in those youngsters who maybe haven't gotten that opportunity yet to train with the, the the regulars, if you will, and kind of get an idea of what it feels like to be with the main guys moving forward. And I think that's something that's kind of more of like a preparation uh, tactic, if you will, for some of these managers to get them again. As I you know revert back to the Euro- European qualifi- uh, qualifiers that are you know on on the horizon. Certainly so, and you mentioned uh, the competitiveness of some of these games. The England-Spain game was certainly competitive, fiercely, fiercely, especially when you have Sergio Ramos on the pitch and um, he's running around hitting people. It's never going to be really a friendly, but a little little shout-out for, for Kosovo, which... Uh, uh, you know, I'm. I'm. Uh, my parents are from a little little uh, draw for them. I think against the Faroe Islands, but not so much about the result. But um, an absolutely s- stunning goal from uh, Milot Rashica, who's um, currently playing for Werder Bremen. But um, lo- looking like a, a few players from Kosovo now now making some some noise. You have got Valon Berisha, uh, my namesake, uh, do- doing some bits at uh, Lazio. Um, you got Etrit Berisha, which is my name without a P. Um, also, I think still playing his trade in, uh, in Syria, so a little shout out for them. But we'll we'll move on before uh, before Matt rips rips into those guys. Uh, <laughs> so uh, over to to the US, Miguel Almiron. Um, his name hasn't gone away. When I first saw this as an Arsenal fan, I just thought uh, another one of these crap rumors. Uh, this one's resurfaced. And do you know much about him, Matt? Do you want to give us a lowdown? Yeah, so Miguel Amaron, um, he's, he's been a standout for Atlanta United, one of uh, MLS's, you know, uh, big franchises these past couple of years, of course, that have been expansion last year. They had a great first year, um, you know, lively atmosphere at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is actually shared by the Atlanta Falcons, but they got the same owner as the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Blank. Um, and again, they've, they, they around even around Miguel Amaron, they have 
tons of standout standout players. Obviously, one being Joseph Martinez, who actually used to play, apply his trade uh, in Syria with Torino, uh, 23, 24-year-old uh Venezuelan attacker scoring goals. I think he actually set the record for most goals in a single season already. So again, it just speaks volumes as to how you know how some of these guys are getting on and how they're really dominating uh, you know Major League Soccer at the moment. But getting back to Miguel Amiron, he's been one of those guys as well that you know really since he got to uh, to Atlanta United, he's been tearing it up. He's a creative player. Uh, scoring goals, getting the assists, he's piling every, he's piling on this every, all the statistics that you would you would hope for for an attacking midfielder and a playmaking type player. But now he's really finally starting to get that recognition and that notoriety um, that most people that go to Major League Soccer hope to obtain, and that is that European interest abroad from some pretty big clubs. Now, b- before I get into you know, the Arsenal mention, because I think it's worth pointing out that even around uh, January last year. There were talks that even Inter and Arsenal were interested in him at the moment, and they were willing to spend quite a bit on him um, even then. I don't know how strong of a, of a tie it was or how strong of a rumor it was, but I think the source was pretty strong at that moment. Uh, so it's not it's not surprising to see Arsenal getting back in the conversation and looking to get uh, finally snap up Miguel Amiron. Obviously, I think we're starting to see the trend sort of change a little bit in that, you know, despite maybe Major League Soccer still not being not nearly as effective or not not effective that's the wrong word but competitive as some of these top leagues that we typically talk about on this podcast the major league these teams are starting to take note that there are some you know some gems to be had in major league soccer i mean we saw again Bayern munich alfonso davies investing in a 16 17 year old canadian international from vancouver whitecaps uh, i think he actually is going to join them in the summer if i'm correct um, or once once the, once the major league soccer season's over, and he's you, again, you you just when you watch a major league soccer game, you notice who the stars are, you notice who the crown jewels are. Alfonso Davies being one of them. And when I've watched Atlanta United, uh, it's Miguel Amiron, it's Joseph Martinez, it's those types of players. And Miguel Amiron again, I think he just had a recent injury. Uh, I'm not too sure how serious it is at the moment. But in any case, regardless, I feel that it, you know if Arsenal want to pull the trigger on this and make this move a uh, uh, permanent. In January, I think he'll definitely be back and ready to go. Of course, how uh, Unai Emery you know kind of integrates him into the system remains to be seen. But in any case, um, you know a guy like me, Miguel Amaro, I think he's 24 years old, creative player, can score goals. He's he has an you know he, he knows where to pick his passes and things like that. And he's very quick too. He can make those those runs from end to end. And I feel that if Arsenal could get a good uh, you know get, make this happen for a good price, it, it's a worth it's a risk worth taking because if you're gonna go after any type of player. In um, in Major League Soccer, if you're you know Arsenal's the Bayern Munich's of the world, you you wanted to make it the top you know five top ten players, and I think this one could be a possible record fee. Or I think right now, again, of course, Alfonso Davies is the record fee, but in any case, uh, it's it, it's expected that Miguel Amaro will likely go to Arsenal, uh, probably just under that. And if everything works out well, maybe he could be an effective um, you know Premier League player. We've seen pr- players from Major League Soccer, Landon Donovan's of the world, the Tim Howards of the world you know um clint dempsey as well you know, have some success in you know in england so i think miguel amaron if he's in the right system where he's not rushed to play a big role right away which obviously he won't give in the fact that arsenal have plenty of talent right now already starting i think miguel amaron could have a pretty decent career um in england provided he does all the right things he stays fit and he's able to adapt uh, appropriately and there have been some comparisons to meza Özil from uh, some some outlets I'm not sure he's that type of player right he seems to be a lot more dynamic more of a goal scorer am I correct in saying yeah I mean I think again 
putting that label on him is, is I, I, I hate doing that for a lot of young players. And especially, again, you're, go, you're talking about going from MLS to England. I mean, Mesut Oso went from uh, Germany to Spain to England, and he's been, you know, for all intents and purposes, a star everywhere. Um, of course, you know, he's had some struggles mixed in between. But generally speaking, overall, uh, his numbers stack up against amongst some of the best playmakers in, in world football at the moment over the past, you know, handful of years since he actually arrived, um, you know, to, to Arsenal. So, and you know, if, if I'm going to say he's comparable to Ozil, I mean, maybe a couple different, in, in, to maybe the, the way he plays in, you know, in certain ways where he tries to play um, on the pitch, but to say that, you know, that that talent he mirrors, the, the, the talents mirror, um, I think that's obviously very, very risky to say, <laughs> given the fact that, you know, going from MLS to England is never an easy transition for anyone to make. Uh, but yeah, I, I, again, certain, certain, maybe certain aspects, he does seem like he is that type of player, but to your point, more of a player that's going to um, you know score a bit more goals versus looking to make that you know that inch perfect pass and look to pass first before having a shot on goal himself so uh, yeah I, I would say that there are, you, know, you maybe take a little bit from his game but not generally speaking they're not really true comparables in my opinion Mm-hmm. So uh, for Arsenal fans like myself, could be an exciting January and uh, could be good value for money if uh, Miguel Amaron does come and if he does prove to be an effective player. And speaking of Arsenal, I spoke to Ollie Price-Bates, who's a Arsenal expert, blogger, soon to be vlogger and podcaster, I believe. And I got his thoughts on Reese Nelson, who is the player that we profiled in this episode. Right, so today I'm joined by uh, Ollie Price-Bates, who's a Arsenal blogger, uh, expert, and uh, he's going to help us talk about Reese Nelson, who's on absolute fire for both England's youth teams and for Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. So, Ollie, how you doing, man? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Reese Nelson, what what's his journey been like at Arsenal Football Club so far? Yeah, so Reese uh, joined the club when he was uh, nine years old, so... He's really come through all the youth levels, um, really sort of wrote, come to the fore about two years ago, 16-17 um, campaign, when he sort of broke into that under-21 setup, and that's when he was only 16 years old. So he's always been sort of ahead of his, his age group, if you like, uh, always been one that has been highly rated internally at the club. Um, and he's added a lot of goals to his game, um, in the last couple of years and as we're now seeing for Hoffenheim as well that's really paid dividends that that work on that end product um, it is something we could do with at Arsenal at the moment uh, end products from wide areas but um, I think it's a fantastic move that he's you know it's his first loan spell he's not left Arsenal before this and to go to a, uh, a club of that size uh, and he's still only 18, is quite significant. Uh, the fact that there was that interest there shows you what he's done for the Arsenal youth team. And as you say, the the England youth teams as well. Yeah, so let's talk a bit more about his time at the Arsenal youth setup. So under 18s first, broke into that season, uh, broke into that under 21s uh, team uh, a couple of years back, what what was what was he perceived as uh, internally at Arsenal and and from outside in perspective? Like what what did everyone think of him? Because I think he was part of that uh, Eddie Nketiah and obviously uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles had just kind of graduated from the first team. I think there was lots of calls for Reese Nelson to be uh, fast tracked, but um, he he stayed in the under twenty ones, under twenty threes. Why was that, and how good was he for those youth teams? Sure, I think. 
you know, we've seen a, a great example of um, someone who's not stepped it up but absolutely smashed the youth teams for Arsenal was uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas. I think he broke sort of all the goal scoring records. Um, so I think Arsenal fans have started to not get carried away so much um, with players. But Nelson was one that Wenger definitely could have played a bit more last season, but he was only 17. Um, and I think the physicality has always been the one question mark that um, the club would have had in, in that him stepping up to senior football. Um, but uh, as we can see now in the Bundesliga, which is you know a high-level league, uh, playing for Hoffenheim, he's he's really proven that he can play at that level. Um, I think Wenger didn't actually rotate so much, uh, even in the Europa League last season. So we ha- we actually have senior players out wide that needed those minutes, the likes of Welbeck and Mkhitaryan, um, who wouldn't necessarily start in the first team. And that sort of hindered Nelson getting... Uh, enough opportunities last season and it was frustrating really because for people like um, Welbeck you can't really see a long-term future of the club you know he might leave on a free and and you'd as a fan you'd rather see that time given to um, to a player like Nelson to to develop but I think it's a good move what's happened now uh, I think he's challenged himself by going to Hoffenheim and wanting to prove to Emery the new manager who who's obviously given him some reassurances and he's obviously signed that contract. So I'm very excited as an Arsenal fan to uh, see how he continues this season. Yeah, as am I as an Arsenal fan, very excited. But uh, on that contract situation, why why do you think it took so long to to sort out? It it was seemingly signed and then there were rumours that he was off. Do you think it was because of Arsene Wenger leaving? Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to know what would have happened had Arsene stayed because... As I say, he didn't he didn't get as many opportunities as he would have liked last season, um, and whether that would have continued this season or, or what Wenger would have liked to do, he might have refused a, a loan move, but not played him that much, and you just don't know how it would have gone. So I expect there was, you know, proper talks with Emery about where he sees his future, and luckily, I think Emery knew quite a lot about a lot of the Arsenal youngsters, and, and he probably gave him those reassurances, and I think. The fact that an offer came in from Hoffenheim uh, with, you know, they've got a good manager they're in the top sort of six of the Bundesliga. Um, so it seemed like the perfect move. And they obviously assured him that he would play regularly as well, because that was my first concern when when he signed the contract to Arsenal. I, you know, I was, I was delighted. When he was going to Hoffenheim, I thought, is that a bit too high a level for him at the moment? Uh, is he going to play enough minutes? Because we have seen players go out in the past and you know, sort of go too high and then not be used. So, But so far, it's working out brilliantly, obviously. We're still at the start of the season. but Yeah, he's he started like a house on fire, hasn't he? Four goals and four assists. But um, it's interesting that you say he probably could have gone to a lower level. We'd seen the likes of, uh, you know, Tammy Abraham uh, gone to Aston Villa, especially after setting the championship on, on, on fire a couple of seasons back. You would have thought that he... Uh, he would have tried to challenge himself more and a few other players seemingly choosing I don't want to be harsh but the, the easy way out and Reese Nelson someone who seems very hungry and to go to a team that's in the Champions League it's it speaks volumes doesn't it and it, it is very weird for an Arsenal fan to think that he's gone to a club that are playing in a level of competition higher than us playing in a level of competition higher mm. 
Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, he the important thing there is he challenges himself. We've seen a lot of young players in the past sort of get ahead of themselves when they get X amount of followers or score one goal in the first team. Um, and I don't, he doesn't strike me as someone who's going to do that. He's, he's a very professional lad. Um, and, you know, the fact that there was that interest from Hoffenheim and probably other top European clubs as well. Um, and that the fact they're willing just to have him temporarily is is just testament to his quality. Mm-hmm. Well, before we let you go, Oli, why don't you talk to us a bit about whether or not Arsenal are going to see him in Arsenal colours regularly next season? I would hope so. I think, you know, Emery's definitely going to be around for at least a few years. Um, we've, we've, we see him as a long-term manager, I'm sure. Um, and Nelson, he's obviously handed in that contract. He's, Emery's already sort of, we've seen improvements in Iwobi's games since he, he arrived. So I'd like to see what he does with Nelson because I think there's even more raw talent there um, and he's younger as well. So there's, it's exciting because we definitely need wide players, wide forwards uh, who can score goals. And we obviously lost you know, Walcott, Sanchez, Chamberlain last season and didn't really directly replace them. We you know, obviously signed Aubameyang, which is brilliant, but he's not a, naturally a wide player. So I really think we lack that. And for England, as an England fan, I think we need more players like him um, and Sancho as well. Obviously, Sancho's gone on a similar path, but uh, went to Dortmund on a permanent uh, move but I think it's brilliant to see young players like Nelson and Sancho go abroad we don't see it with English players enough and I think that really you know that, that's really bad for England when it comes to tournament football because we come up against contrasting styles and these players are used to just playing in the Premier League and it, you know they, they're not they don't know how to break down different defences different styles of play and I think hopefully for England's sake as well, this will really, really benefit us in future tournaments. Yeah, I think it will. That that crop of youngsters with Sancho, you mentioned uh, Mason Mount, and I know James Madison is a bit older, but he already seems to be Leicester's best player by far. So hopefully, those guys can revitalise England, uh, even, even though it's quite a young squad, but also give them a bit of a, a cutting edge, that bit more creativity, which I think maybe we lacked at times in the World Cup but Ollie, thank you so much for coming on and speaking about uh, Reese Nelson uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah so the best place to find me is on Twitter, it's uh, at Ollie Price Bates O-L-I-P-R-I-C-E-B-A-T-E-S um, and yeah look out for uh, my blogs on fresharsenal.com as well Brilliant, brilliant, thank you for being on The State of Play in the last episode, Matt, we talked about three managers that are struggling. Since then, Jose Mourinho has uh, nearly gotten into a middleweight fight uh, and, and, and a decent result at Stamford Bridge, all, thing, all things considered. Uh, Nico Kovac uh, with Bayern Munich, they won 3-0. Uh, Real Madrid and Julian Lopetegui, though, a 2-1 loss at home to Levante which is crazy. I think they hit the woodwork three times, two disallowed goals via VAR. Everything's going wrong for this guy, but the players aren't really playing for him, it seems, as though. What what do you think is going on here? And do you think Real Madrid are going to pull the trigger? I think it's four losses in five in, in, in La Liga. I think this is one of their worst runs ever. Yeah, I, I really think, again, we talked about, as you mentioned on the previous episode, um, and we talked about really the hot seat for several managers. I think it was... Uh, Kovac, Bayern Munich, Lopetegui at Real Madrid. 
and Mourinho at Man United. And I think at this point, um, you're looking at you know what's going on with Real Madrid. It's you're really, they're really starting to see the the uh, after effect of losing Ronaldo, right? I think you know uh, everyone, most I guess educated and smart and sensible uh, Madrid fans knew that okay, like we were it's going to be a little bit difficult this transition this new peer this new era post Zidane post Ronaldo was going to be difficult um, Mariano Diaz is a nice player but by no means is he's able to replicate what Ronaldo did for Real Madrid yeah. let's be clear here uh, Benzema struggled really for the past year and a half if you really look at it in terms of the numbers which just makes it all more surprising that he's actually in the bounty or shortlist or the top 30 <laughs> um but but in any case yeah Dopategi as you just mentioned um you know it's, it's rough times at Madrid and you wonder um, with all these you know rumors coming in that Antonio Conte is going to be the replacement you wonder if when's it going to come when they're going to finally you know pull pull the plug on this experiment because let's face it it's not working I think Lopetegui was was pretty good for Spain let's you know, I'm, no one's going to take that away from him. But at the same time, you know, it's again, it's the expectations are different. It's Real Madrid. It's uh, man, it's it, it, it's tough. How many managers are really successful, both international and at the club level? I think it's a very difficult thing to do if you're a manager, and especially in this again, this situation that he's in. If he had, you know, Ronaldo there, or if he had some of these players, I think it would be able to mask some of the maybe deficiencies that this Real Madrid team currently has. Now, when things go go south and you're losing Ronaldo, it's really showing how important and influential he really was. And before it gets too ugly, and before you get into a hole where it's too deep to climb out of, that's where I think Fiorentino Perez is thinking. At some point, I got to pull the plug. I got to stop the bleeding. And right now, Antonio Conte looks to be the uh, the the preferred the guy who uh, he, Perez is going to lean on, or at least to me, kind of try to steer this ship back on track because. Um, right now, I look. I was actually looking at the table yesterday, and it's really not the table. No one's really running away with it. Barcelona's had their struggles themselves. Um, Sevilla has been a pretty solid team, but the, no one's really running away with it. I think it's maybe a four or five point margin at this point. And we've seen what obviously can happen in a matter of a week, right? If you know a guy like Antonio Conte comes in and is able to kind of transmit a winning mentality, you know, kind of uh, elevate some of these players and, and you know do everything he did with you know, Juventus and, and uh, Chelsea and even the entire national team in short time. You, you wouldn't be surprised to see a Real Madrid start to thrive again. Of course, a big team like that also can spend in January and make the necessary moves that they need to make to kind of, you know, salvage something. But as, of, as it stands right now, Real Madrid are in a difficult spot. And again, I think the, it's it's more or less, it's 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 uh, the time's, time's running out for Lopetegui to prove that he actually is a man for the job. And I think Perez is thinking that, hey, Conte's maybe, Conte's available. He's one of the biggest names that we have available out there. Um, and if you're going to sack Lopetec, you got to sh- be sure you have a manager with a winning pedigree, with notoriety, and with a reputation for being able to, um, you know, manage under pressure. Because he did that at Chelsea off a bad season, came back and went in there and actually won the league. So um, interesting, interesting times at Real Madrid. And I think, that, again, when it, when it comes with the territory of coaching at a big club for Lopetec. Yeah, Arsene Wenger as well available, says he wants to start managing against, again in January. That would be an interesting. That would one. be really interesting, uh, particularly because he he nearly left for Real Madrid, of course, in in two thousand six. Um, so that that they they've had previous. That would be interesting. Uh, I'm not. Do you think Antonio Conte would instill a style of football that Real Madrid would be happy with? And the second question from me: Do you think? that this is totally his fault I don't think Real Madrid have recruited appropriately you look at Mariano Diaz yes as you said nice player but 
he's not going to... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's not going to score forty goals a season, and realistically, they haven't replaced Real Madrid's goals. If you look at how they lined up the other day, you had uh, Isco on the left, um, Mariano Diaz up front, and Lucas Vasquez on the right. There's not a heck of a lot of goals up there. It's not quite a BBC. It's not quite a MSN, is it? So. I don't know. I think they needed to go for a Hazard. They needed to go for a Neymar-esque player who could get them for 30 goals a season. And I think the reason that they didn't really go for Hazard as gung-ho as they could have is because he hadn't had that previous of scoring those 30 goals in a season. I think if he'd showed this, the form that he's showing this season, last season, I think Real Madrid would have paid what it took to take him there. And I think Chelsea would have probably taken that money and said, mm, OK, yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, and move on and you look at other players but so, so what do you think do you think they first of all do you think they've recruited appropriately and second of all do you think a, a manager like Antonio Conte would do you think he fits in terms of the the culture at Real Madrid well the first question I don't think they have recruited appropriately at all I mean it really wins the last time they bought like a big name player I mean if they've gotten if they've gotten players um, you know that have been you know able to kind of move along through the through the team start to earn the minutes and then really start to earn that stardom. Again, Asensio being one of them. Even Ceballos at times is one of them. Again, they bought players at a relatively cheap price, um, you know, pro- you know, strong you know, uh, local talent or international, Spain international talent, and make them into really uh, effective players um, in La Liga. But in generally speaking, when's the last time they've actually went out there and bought a guy like, for example, how what Barcelona did last January with Felipe Coutinho, right? Like a guy that's a, a, a difference maker, a game changer, guy that can move the needle. Again, Coutinho's not by any means a potent goal scorer, a 30 goal scorer, but what he does is he's creative, he can score from free kicks, he's quick, he's young, and he's a, he's one of those players that if you look at him, like, okay, like, like, that's a big name that can really alter on a team um, and, and really move the needle for you um, in all competitions. Real Madrid really haven't done enough of that recently, and if you ask most Real Madrid fans, they would definitely agree with it. Again, part of the reason why is that maybe... Um, you know, with Benzema, he hasn't produced to the same the same level that we've known uh, come to know of. You know, in the first portion of his career at Real Madrid, um, Bale obviously we know he was capable of at Tottenham. He hasn't really quite been able to have the um, that same success consistently each and every year at Real Madrid due to injuries, due to some different playing times and, and things like that. So I, I feel that Real Madrid they've kind of mishandled making uh, the, the necessary moves to kind of keep this this dynasty that they're currently in going. But at the same time, I do think it's really interesting because, you know, Zidane won, they won three Champions League tr- trophies in a row. And we're talking about, well, you know, they, like, I, I it's funny because I like to see, I, I see people's interactions on Twitter, you know, Madrid fans, I follow quite a few. And they say like, oh man, I can't believe this. This is like the banter era of Real Madrid. I'm saying, if you have, to have three Champions League trophies in a row, and you're talking about like a banter error. So like again, that's what the standard is at Real Madrid. It's it, it, that's what the standard is though, right? That's st- when you're Real Madrid, Barcelona. Like if you go trophyless in a season, or you have a year where you finish maybe third uh, behind Atletico Madrid, or you know whatever the case may be, it's considered a, a a down year, a failure, if you will. So in terms of the recruiting side of things, I definitely think Real Madrid have dropped the ball lately these past several years. I mean, they really didn't prepare themselves, um, you know, it, to put. Post Ronaldo, right? If you're gonna get, if you're gonna lose a guy like Ronaldo, I think you you have to 
try to you know, soften the blow and the the loss of his goal production and get a as you just mentioned a star player who can at least more or less you know change the game change the attack and again Hazard isn't the same goal scorer that Ronaldo is by any means but if he's doing what he's doing this year then you wonder, okay, you know what, he may be at Real Madrid with all that talent around, and maybe we do see his his goal-scoring um, you know, prowess you know, elevate to another level. Uh, but in gen- going back, going to the Conte question... Just, just a do- quick one, Matt. I've just seen some rumours as we're recording that, um, that apparently Lopetegui is going to be sacked <laughs> and that uh, they're considering Santiago, Santiago Scolari, who's the Real Madrid B manager, uh, and apparently uh, Roberto Martinez, uh, Belgian manager, um, and uh, Guti is the other one that's being thrown around. So uh, with that information in mind, <laughs> what are your thoughts again about the Conte thing? And then maybe you can say a word about those guys. Well, the Guti, the Guti is the one is an interesting name that stood out for me as well because we saw what happened with Zidane, right? He, I think he was at Real Madrid B. They promoted him, and then he he really had some pretty good success. Again, different times. He had you know Ronaldo was one of those present those players who was able to, um, and I think this is an underrated thing about you know Ronaldo aside from his goals was that he was able to kind of rally the team in games in matches where they were maybe down or maybe they weren't playing that best, and he was able to kind of be that leader, be that captain, you know, um, kind of to not, you know, I mean, I know Ramos was the captain, obviously, but uh, he was able to kind of kind of get the guys back on track and really, and kind of change the dynamic of a game. We're not really seeing that this year. When they're down, we don't see that same type of fight, that same type of energy that we have come to know of a Real Madrid team. So maybe, again, maybe they're thinking, you oh, know, in the short term, Guti may be a better, cheaper, uh, um, a, a more affordable option to go with, and maybe he has that some sort of effect that Zidane had in that in that he knows what it feels like to play for this team. He knows what the pressure, um, knows how to take on the pressure of wearing that shirt. So maybe he's able to kind of transmit that to the t- to the guys, and ultimately kind of turn this thing around before it go- gets too late. Uh, but if I'm going back to Conte, I think Conte, it would be interesting because. W- Coaching, I always find it difficult for a manager to step in midway through the season. It's it's it, it's it's a lot. It's not enough time to again tactics. Look at their players, assess the personnel, assess where guys fit the best, assess where maybe there's underutilization of players. Um, we've seen that again, even with uh, you know perfect. I always kind of go back to with with Catuso. They brought him in midway through the season last year, and he was able to have a good effect on the team. Maybe you know everyone with, who were saying, oh, he's not really tactically there. He's not at the tactically at the level to compete in Serie A. Um, but he did a great job with Milan, and then the players took to him. They took to his 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 grinta and his motivation and his energy on a regular basis. So a guy like Conte, who's known for some of those similar qualities, maybe is able to do that. There may be players who don't take to him that well, but there may be some in the squad who say, you know what, this manager has won with Juve. He's won with you know he's he pretty much got everything he possibly could out of an Italian national team and had a great Euro. Um, and of course, he won the Premier League title with Chelsea. So maybe some players are thinking, you know, maybe Conte is a good op- uh, option for us. Maybe he is a guy to kind of at least move us into a better position and at least kind of you know keep things, um, keep us in the thick of things this year. Because I still don't think they're out of any type of uh, you know you know competition for a trophy, and despite maybe how difficult times are right now. So if if I'm saying if if you're asking me if Conte is is a good option for Real Madrid, um, I think so in the sense that. He, I think he's he's one of those no nonsense managers. I think he has the experience, and, and those are the types of things that I think will ultimately help Real Madrid in a difficult period. Um, maybe it'll take some time to kind of get his his ideas and his his implementation of tactics down, 
um, and, and, and for them to be effective. But I think ultimately what Real Madrid need, they need to see some sort of progression. They need to, to see some sort of Real Madrid type identity that they've kind of lost with Lopetegui early on. And if you get a guy like Conte, I think there's going to be some players that like him, that that understand that he is a great manager. He is a guy that um, you know can get the best out of his players. He can elevate his players to another level. And maybe ultimately he is the guy for for uh, Real Madrid moving forward. Maybe you know obviously beyond this year, which I think again, if you're appointing a guy like him, it's it's uh, you you assume that it's not going to be just a half season thing. Again, of course, if things go south and he has a some difficulty with the team. But in any case, I think Conte could be a good option for them. But I wouldn't be surprised if they do go the route um getting back to Guti as someone internally uh, to. To, you know, to at least finish off the season and maybe have you know try to mirror somewhat to the um to what Zidane was able to do. Yeah, I feel that they will probably look internally, whether it is um, the current Real Madrid B manager or someone like Guti. Uh, it'd be funny if Zidane came back though. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, "All right, guys, it looks like you guys need me. Where, where, where do I step in? What do you guys need?" He's like, "Home, home a bit, home a bit." Yeah, yeah. He's just like, oh, um, "Gosh, I to do everything around here," and then it leads him to a fourth, uh, fourth Champions League trophy. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But um, I mean, staying in Spain, did you see Messi's horrible injury? Um, I saw when I was actually watching the game. Uh, I was just getting ready to go out. Was watching the game, saw him fall, and I'd done. I've done the exact same thing that he's done uh, playing football. Uh, but I, and I was worried because the way his arm bent, I was like, oh god, if you break both those bones, then you're out for a good 10, 12 weeks. Uh, but luckily for him, it, it looks like he's it's a small break and he'll, he'll be back in like three or four weeks. So uh, a little word on, on Lionel Messi's injury, how, how Barcelona might try and cope with him and a Ronaldo and Messi-less Classico for the first time in 11 years, it seems. It sounds it sounds like um, it's it's... And they, everyone's going to tune it to the uh, classical regardless, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to have that same uh, type of uh, importance, significance because of those two guys not obviously not being on the pitch. But yeah, I think for Messi um, and his injury, uh, Barcelona fans were a little sigh of relief as they saw the kind of the uh, the, uh, the 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 diagnosis of the injury and of course the timetable for which he may come back um, and make his way back to the team. Three weeks again. It stinks that you're going to lose him if you're a Barcelona fan for that for that El Clasico. But I think at the same time, you also have to Barcelona also have to like their chances in that Barcelona. Um, you know they're in a better spot than Real Madrid are at the moment. Although again, they've had their own uh, struggles as well early on in the season. Um, maybe you know dropping some points here and there. Um, you know maybe not playing to the same level that they've hoped to play. For player too but in any case you know going into the classical Barcelona still probably still seem like the favorite in that game and it would be interesting because I think again we, we talked about how Barcelona were able to kind of make the acquisitions necessary to kind of keep this thing rolling keep the the machine moving um guys like Philippe Coutinho you know they still have uh Suarez who's still a really good goal scorer um then Bailey's had his struggles of course but again he, on, on his day when he's when everything's clicking the guy can score fantastic goals and the guy could be a big time player um but just to kind of point out, Arthur, I mean, this guy, he looks like the the, uh, the heir to Iniesta, Iniesta Javi, whatever, whoever you want to call it. But in generally speaking, in the midfield, this guy looks like the real deal. And it looks like Barcelona have um, a, pill, a midfield pillar for the next decade because this guy is fantastic. And I, I see what all the fuss is about. And I see why uh, Barcelona fans are so happy to have him because he's, I think he's from Gremio, if I'm correct. I think that's where they actually got him from. Uh, but yeah, the industry. Getting back to the uh, the, the main uh, topic here, being Lionel Messi, 
it stinks because you want to see you know the best of the best in in the best and brightest of games El Clasico being one of them but in any case um, yeah it's just going to feel a little weird not having Ronaldo Messi Uh, I know in the states at least you know I watch the games on BN Sports and usually it's like Ray Hudson on the call and he's just always so uh, he always makes these funny little things about Lionel Messi like he calls him like a mutant an alien and all these different things and you could kind of see the passion behind that he has in in commentating games where Lionel Messi and Ronaldo are involved so it's going to be uh it's going to be weird to see at least not one of them i think you know going back to the summer when Ronaldo was sold to Juve you're like oh there's the yeah, classic it's not going to be the same you know there's no Ronaldo there's no Messi going back and forth with Ronaldo but now you don't have Messi either and it's like I don't know, man. Maybe, hey, maybe maybe this El Clasico without those two guys, those two aliens um, in the picture, maybe someone else rises to the occasion and take and take center stage. Maybe a guy like Arthur, maybe it is Dembele, maybe it is Coutinho, Asensio, Isco, who knows. But I think regardless, the uh, El Clasico will still be fine without these two in this, at least this match. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's definitely unfortunate to see Messi go down because obviously one of the best players, um, if not the best player ever, and um, yeah, you just wa- you just want to see him on the pitch because you obviously know what he's capable of with the ball at his feet. Do you think Madrid could get some sort of weird loan deal for 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 Ronaldo, like on a on a one game emergency basis? You know how sometimes <laughs> teams do with keepers. I reckon that could be in the offing <laughs> just to like just to keep those TV numbers up. I reckon the Liga could allow something. The way this, I mean, who knows? I mean, at this point, you know, <laughs> are you talking about the CR seven or? Uh, R9 because I would be oh, pretty well. cool to see R9 there. <laughs> Either would one would probably I think help. there would be a lot of people that tune into that. We got Ronaldo on the pitch uh, for this game, or Ronaldinho, maybe R9 and Ronaldinho come back. Um, but Ronaldinho being on Barcelona and then uh, Ronaldo being on uh, Real Madrid, that'd be something, right? It'd be amazing. I mean, I looked the other day. Ronaldinho is only 38, man. Oh man, I I wish he'd um. I wish he'd kept a bit fitter and maybe done a bit less drinking because he less was party, uh, one of my yeah. favorite. I mean, look at him now. You know, he he lived his best life. He, you know, the yeah. girls, uh, the the party life. Um, you know, all that good I stuff. I can't. So, I can't. Yeah. I can't hold. Good that for him. 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 I can't complain. I can't. I yeah, can't yeah. <laughs> Who am I to hold that against him? But um, yeah. uh, speaking of uh, goals, uh, <laughs> um, Luka Jovic scored five of them for Eintracht Frankfurt the other day. Uh, Friday the 19th, it was like the first taster we had back of European football. And Eintracht Frankfurt played Fortuna Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga. And uh, Frankfurt, who Ante Rebic plays for, who who made his name uh, a, a bit brighter and a bit larger during the World Cup, had a very good performance with Croatia all the way up to the final. Luka Jovic, the young Serbian striker, scored five goals. He did a Lewandowski. Uh, and he did it in about 50 minutes he scored in the 26th the 34th the 55th the 69th and the 72nd minute so uh clinical to say the least yeah and there was one one of those goals i forgot which one of the five but was was sensational it was i forgot the ball was swung into him and he kind of just like back facing goal overhead kicked it into the net and it was just you know it was something the goalkeeper couldn't even move or even get to it was just that special <laughs> of, a, of a goal but it was one of those goals where it's like with the whole performance uh, of five goals being you know to his name it was one of those those types of uh, uh exhibitions from jo- uh, jovic um that y- you kind of look at and you're saying these are the types of games that put you on the map right we saw you know with piontech scoring you know all the goals he's been able to uh, you know to rack up for genoa this season I mean, it's amazing because again, and it's that crooked number, five goals, like, and he's doing it in impressive fashion. Who is this kid? And now all of a sudden you're going to start to see the links of, you know, 
Chelsea's interested in this guy after his five goal performance, or this player's interested in, you know, this team's interested in Jovic now. So, um, I, yeah, this, I mean, I don't know much about him. I'm not going to sit here and try to claim that I, I have the the inside scoop and I have the know all of, of Jovic, but um, looks like a player who uh, a lot of Serbians are very, uh, you know, intrigued about and really, uh, in, in, you know, in the interested in seeing how he can kind of do this for the national team because, um, you know, obviously the Serbian national team, you know, over the past several handful of years, um, you know, specifically even with their uh, their under-20, under-21 teams, have had a lot of young talent come through the ranks, Milinkovic Savic being one of them, and now you have a guy like Jovic as well, of course there's many others, but I'm just going to focus on those two. I think they also want to see how he can kind of produce for his national team, but if we're looking at the club level and what he's able to be uh, able to do on a weekly basis... Uh, he's got a pretty good career, and you, you you assume if he's able to kind of maintain some of these types of uh, displays, he won't be lasting long at uh, Frankfurt. He'll be getting a big move uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, 20 years of age. He's played 299 minutes in the Bundesliga this season. Guess how many shots he's had this season, Matt? Considering he scored seven goals. Um, 15 shots? 12 shots. Wow. 12 shots, 7 Clinical. 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 Um, and uh, we mentioned Ante Rebic, uh, who we thought was going to be the, the, the talisman for this team. It, it seems like this guy is like, this is my team now with that five-goal uh, five goal game. So we'll see how many goals he scores in the sum, uh, in this season. And yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of eyes looking at the uh, former Benfica man, I think. Um, but uh, what, what, or is it Benfica? I'm not sure. No, it's not. That's stupid. If any one of our listeners are, uh, have, have the know-all of uh, Jovic and his, his journey to Frankfurt and a five-goal performance, let us know on Twitter. We'll, uh, we'd, we'd appreciate that. Hey, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have you on to uh, contribute and give us some information on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because I clearly don't. Oh, no, he did play for Benfica. See, I was there you right. go. There you go. I knew more than I thought. But um, <laughs> Got to give yourself uh, some credit there. Got to give myself some credit. But uh, last thing we want to talk about is something dear to your heart, and I'm sure this will be giving you heart palpitations this evening after we record, uh, the, the Milan derby. Um, and you just want to touch on the Serie A a bit more here. Yeah, so um, as you all know, or if you don't know, I'm a huge, huge, huge Milan fan. Um, uh, red and black, of course. I get that question all the time. I'm, I tell people I'm a Milan fan. They go uh, AC or uh, Inter. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get that question so often. Um, and I, I always tell them it's, it's Milan. It's it's just Milan. It's not AC. Um, it's red and black. That's that's what Milan always colored red and black. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, at the time of recording. Of course, we got the uh, Milan derby, the first one of the season. Um, of course, and I think this one's uh, has a little bit more. Um, uh, in- interest and intrigue this year now obviously with you know Milan having uh, Higuain uh, now a, a, a potent top striker to rival Mauro Riccardi on the other on the other end for Inter you have two Argentine guys one that actually made the World Cup Gonzalo Higuain another that was cut from the team um, in the final uh, provisional roster uh, that, that that final phase of uh, uh, before the World Cup in Icardi, but yeah, this this Milan derby, it, I think it's a big. It, aside from, of course, what this you know, a, a match of, of this magnitude having an effect on the table and bragging rights for the city and all that, the history behind the rivalry, of course. I think this is also a big match for Syria in the sense that when people think about Syria and the health of Syria at this moment in time in 2018, they look at despite the struggles they've had in recent years. They always look at the Milan teams, the teams from Milan, Inter and AC Milan, to see where they are at. Throughout the entire, you know, the, pretty much the history of Serie A I and mean, Italian football, 
I think it's safe to say, and most people, you know, there's going to be Napoli fans or Roma fans that maybe don't like this too much, but when people think Serie A, they think the top three teams are Juventus, AC, Milan, and Inter in no order. And when you have, if you're able to have those three teams thriving, playing in Europe, um, and, and doing, uh, and being really, really strong, I think it really sends a message to the rest of Europe that, okay, Serie A really has it, they're back, like, they're maybe not to the Italian 90 era back, but they're they're on the they're on the rise again, and they're they're a force to be reckoned with. So when I look at this derby, aside from me going with the ins and outs and kind of breaking down tactics and predictions and all that stuff, I think this is also a game that's going to be a good. Uh, I, I guess I don't know how to kind of say it, but a good challenge or good test for people who are maybe not. Uh, Calcio fans to kind of say, okay, well, we know the Milan derby. Obviously, we know these teams have struggled in recent years, but I want to see where the state of of this derby is and how this ultimately is a reflection on Serie A at this moment. If both Milan and Inter can impress in this derby for those who are kind of just looking for something to watch this today, uh, maybe there's not any other big games on, and they're saying, you know what, Milan Inter, that's a great one. Let's let's tune in. If they can kind of put on a great show. It's 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 exciting. It has all the makings of a great, fantastic derby that we've we've come to know of. Then I think it also sends a message to the rest of of the world that okay, maybe Milan and Inter are back. Maybe Serie A is on the rise after all. Because um, I see some negative negativity um, from outsiders um, that who don't watch Calcio that often, and they say, oh, you know, Italy's it's not the same. You know, Milan and Inter are not very good. It's just Juventus. They run the league every year. I think if the, some of these other teams are able to kind of step up, and Milan and Inter being two of them. I think it bodes well for the reputation that Serie A hopes to get back and that being a, uh, a powerful uh, world-class league that I really do believe it is. Yeah, I think the rise of Calcio is, is a good way to phrase it. They, I think Inter and, Inter and Milan, not Inter Milan, they've both kind of been creeping in, in their transitional periods respectively I think Inter Milan have started their Champions League campaign quite well Uh, Milan are obviously expected to go pretty far in the Europa League you'd think and they've started relatively decently in the league as well and uh, you mentioned Gonzalo Higuain what a difference he's made you know and Suso and Suso's also you also got to look at him as one of the top assist men in Europe at the moment um, getting his he's getting his Spain opportunity now, and he actually had a great uh, international break for Spain as well. He had a couple assists in um, I think that second game or that first game, if I recall. So again, it just goes to show you that okay, they have the top players, they have some really really good talent that people should take note of. And again, I think with that having that talent, with having those players on a weekly basis shine and kind of carry the league to where it once was, aside from Ronaldo's and and, and the other world, because obviously we know the effect that he's having at Juventus. I think he scored this past weekend as well. Um, or yesterday, rather, that you want to see these guys, you want to see the big names. And I think the big names ultimately help carry the big teams back to where they should be. And that's at the forefront of, of the league that we hope they, they, they can reach with Juventus. And even, again, Napoli's having a great year as well. Carlo Ancelotti's done a fantastic job. But focusing on the two Milan teams at the moment, the Milan derby, is such, it still has so much mystique, so much culture, so much history. And I talked about it in um, on the Gentleman Ultra podcast. Shout out to those guys for having me on. Um, how important this derby is for the health of Serie A. So I hope today's uh, today's Milan derby um, it lives up to that expectation as being truly one of the best clashes in Europe. And you, and you talk about Milan, who actually haven't properly fielded their best eleven this season yet. You've got a guy like uh, Kahanolu who's currently having some personal issues as well, and Caldara who's been uh, injured and people haven't really seen much of him but they think him and Romagnoli will be the Andrea Conti too 
Andrea Conte, yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, he, uh, he was injured last year. He really didn't play much for Milan last year after that move from Atalanta. But when he comes back, there's, make no mistake about it, I think he's definitely the best right-back option that Milan have. But I also think he has one of the, he's probably the best full-back option, or at, least, at the very least, the best right-back option that uh, Mancini will have. And I think that's obviously you know something to keep an eye on. I think he's pegged to come back by the end of this month or early November. So Milan could be getting more or less a, a early January type uh, January transfer market edition a month or two earlier because you know a guy like Conti really can help out on that on that defensive end, but he's also a great player moving forward. So um, yeah, I, I just hope that again he's he's able to come back and he's able to be what he was once was at Atalanta, and it's going to form a nice little uh, you know Atalanta reunion with him, Kessier, and uh, Caldara. Yeah, that back four certainly is exciting. You've got uh, Rodriguez, who scores quite a lot, uh, gets lots of assists, takes set pieces. Caldara, who scores like 15 goals a season. Uh, Conte as well, who's a, a, right, uh, a goal-scoring right Eight goals right and five or six assists two years ago, that year before he left for Milan. Yeah, so uh, Romagnoli's going to look around them and say like, uh, damn, I need to up my game. But, long, uh, <laughs> and he's also going to look around and say, long gone are the days where I'm playing alongside, you know, Christian Zapata every week, <laughs> Felipe Mexis and older Alex and, and those Mexis. guys. He's going to actually have a good core around him. And yeah. I think that's also bodes well. And hopefully that'll uh, help Milan pull up, uh, pick up some more clean sheets because right now they're the last team in Serie A uh, that doesn't have a clean sheet, which is shocking when you have a, you're in a league with Frosinone, Empoli, and some of these other teams. Like, come on, Milan, let's get that clean sheet. Let's get off the off the schneid and uh, you know let's show that we are a good defensive side. I'm sure when that back four really start get going, uh, getting going, that they will get many, many clean sheets. But it is certainly a more entertaining league than it once was. Uh, and not once, but I mean, if you look at back at like five or six years ago when uh, it wasn't, you didn't have the Napoli's as much and you didn't have this uh, Sarri ball that they implemented that they're still doing a bit more of uh, or they're, they're still doing a bit of now with Ancelotti. I think he's, he's gone a bit more direct, but they're still playing good football uh, and some crazy games last season. I remember, you know, the Inter Milan-Lazio game to decide who came mm-hmm. fourth. Thriller. Um, one, of the, one of those all-time great games. Yeah, it's just some, some great, great games in Serie A and making it a bit more accessible. We had it on BT Sport last year here over in the UK and now it's with 11 sports, which I think a, a lot more countries in Europe can access. So I think that access point, that barrier to entry to learn about Calcio is just lowering and you're seeing... Go on, sorry. And then, you know, no, we got, and then we got it on ESPN here, which is it's pretty significant when you have your Calcio on ESPN. So I think that's a big name. And it shows, again, it, it shows that there's plenty of value that Serie A is on the rise when it does, when ESPN sees value, a big network um, sees value in wanting to obtain the rights to, to broadcast the games. Um, you know, of course, which is strange that, and I don't want to get too much into it, but Milan and Inter is actually not broadcasted live on ESPN News. Um, Frosinone Empoli was the early game this morning. Um, and that was actually the, the the live game that's broadcasted on ESPN News um, each and every week. Uh, Milan, the Milan Derby is not going to be on TV, which is pretty disappointing because I think it would be uh, great for uh, Calcio fans and really just anyone you know, looking to you know watch some football on the weekend to get a glimpse of, of, of what Serie A is at this moment. Of course, in, of course, Milan and Inter are great teams. But in any case, I'm not going to go too much into that. Uh, I think there's obviously a lot more things that go into play and why. Uh, that game's not being broadcasted specifically. Of course, it is football Sunday, NFL, and I think that also has an effect on um, getting that time slot because I think 2.45, you're right smack in the middle of the day. Milan Inter is not going to take priority over, you know, football coverage or anything else that's going on in, uh, you know, some of the sports here in America. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure you'll find yourself a good stream there, Matt. Uh, no, ESPN good. Plus. ESPN, ESPN Plus. Plus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of it's five dollars a month. I'm, I'm doing ESPN's job for them right now. I'm marketing. <laughs> I'm marketing the subscription. It's five dollars a month. This this podcast replays. is sponsored by uh, ESPN Plus. If yeah, you'd you like can, to uh, can, get yeah, a discount right? code. Just <laughs> uh, reach out to us. I know uh, Petra will put the email at the end of the recording here. But yeah, ESPN Plus. Um, it's five dollars a month. You get access to all the Serie A games that are not on TV. You get replay. So if you miss the game, you can go back into the app um, and, and really, you know, watch anything you want. Highlights, uh, uh, recaps of, um, you know, the whole entire round of Serie A matches. So there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of value in it. Again, for five dollars, it's it's really a no-brainer if you're a Calcio fan. Uh, this podcast is not sponsored by ESPN Plus. <laughs> However, if you do want to sponsor or collaborate, hit us up at uh, stateofplaypod at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at stateofplaypod. Some funny gifts, uh, some funny memes, some good audio snippets that we post out there and above all, you can follow our podcast movements. Matt, where can people find out more about you specifically? Twitter. Uh, at Matt underscore Santangelo, articles for Football Italia, these football times. We've got a great series actually coming out shortly for these football times that I think you guys are all going to enjoy, and not just Calcio fans specifically, although there is some great performances and great articles coming um, from Calcio, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on the next couple weeks. Um, but yeah, anything I'm working on, I usually inform everyone on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. And you can find myself at Pet Barisha. P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Looking to interact more within the football community um, because, you know, I I haven't really used my personal Twitter account to to do so. So uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. Uh, Maybe I can replicate some of uh, Matt's GIFs, uh, memes, flares. Uh, You never know know who's posting on the State of Play uh, Twitter account, but uh, sometimes, sometimes we come up with some funny stuff. But if you have any questions you want us to talk about, topics for us to discuss, hit us up. And if you want to give us a review head over to, to itunes or uh or any of your podcast hopes and hosts and just drop us five stars you know uh, even if you don't think about it just just give us some, a, a charity five star review please yeah we really appreciate it we really appreciate any support again <laughs> the support's been fantastic um i've heard some great um your feedback from some of you guys specifically even on the, the previous episode with janish talking about Piontech. um if you haven't checked that one out make sure you guys do so um, well, we can definitely, you know, uh, you know, share that again on our uh, social media account. But yeah, thank you for the support. And um, yeah, if you guys have any other things you guys like us to cover, players, make sure you guys let us know on Twitter and um, order the email as Petra just uh, gave out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys all so much for listening and uh, enjoy whatever you're doing while you're listening to this podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs>